anybody who's listening to this who's grieved knows you have no control when the feelings of grief come. And one of those moments of missing my dad came over me. And I started to tear up and I thought, Jesus, this cannot happen now. Um, and the grace was, I said, wait a minute. You're about to receive the body and blood of Christ to be renew your communion with him, the one who looks at you and loves you. Welcome to the I Am Here podcast, a space to be inspired by stories of men and women who have found in the Eucharist the strength and purpose for their lives. I'm your co-host, Leah Butalid, and I've been gathering stories for IamHere.org. And I'm Father Mario Amori, a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit. And today we welcome Monsignor Patrick Halfpenny to share his story. Welcome, Monsignor. Thank you. We're so it's a glad. blessing to be with you. We're glad to have you. Thanks for, for making the time to share your story with us today. Uh, I'm retired. I have nothing but time. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful, wonderful. Um, Monsignor Halfpenny, can you tell us where you're from? I grew up in Pontiac, Michigan. Okay. Um, was born there at what was then St. Joseph Mercy Hospital. Went to uh, elementary school at St. Michael's, which had a grade school and high school at the time, and then uh, went to the high school seminary here in okay. the Archdiocese and uh, became a diocesan priest. That's a story for another time, <laughs> why diocesan and not a missionary. <laughs> so you are a priest for the Archdiocese of Detroit, and uh, Monsignor, how many years a priest? 48. Wow. Uh, congratulations to you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, t tell us a little bit about your time as a priest here in the Archdiocese, your different assignments and uh, just some of the blessings maybe. How long is this podcast <laughs> supposed to be? <laughs> we'll see how you want goes. me to go through every assignment over the 48 years? I've been uh, an associate pastor in the city of Detroit, northwest Detroit, a Catholic chaplain at a public hospital, the old Grace Northwest. I... Um, was a high school chaplain at Bishop Borges High School and uh, worked in communications for the Archdiocese of Detroit under Cardinal Dearden and, and uh, then Archbishop and later Cardinal Shaka. I was on the faculty at the seminary as director of spiritual formation, first in the college, then in the graduate program, did that for almost 12 years. Was a pastor back out in Pontiac, not at my home parish, the parish where my parents grew up, however, which was then St. Vincent de Paul mainly or heavily Hispanic. Um, back here at the seminary is uh, vice rector and dean of formation. And I went from here to be uh, uh, pastor of St. Paul's in Gross Point Farms. I was there for almost 16 years. And, uh, and the archbishop asked me to work in the clergy office. Sometimes I was doing double duty, so I was also vicar for clergy while I was pastor at St. Paul's. I was also editor-in-chief of the Michigan Catholic when I was pastor at St. Vincent's in Pontiac, and I've been the ecumenical and interfaith officer for the diocese. So, done a few things. <laughs> Beautiful a, life of ministry. <laughs> Amazing. It's been rich. Yeah, Multi absolutely. Well, um, Monsignor, I 
I'm so inspired by this incredible life that you've lived in, in this life of service to uh, to the Archdiocese here. Um, and that has to, you know, start with a real relationship with Jesus, um, particularly in the Eucharist. So can can we kind of back things up and can you share some of your earliest memories of the Eucharist? Sure. We went to Mass as a family, usually 7.30 Mass on Sunday mornings at St. Michael's. My mom, my dad, my older brother Michael, four years older than I. One of my earliest memories of being in the church uh, was uh, at communion time. My parents and my brother probably was old enough to have made his first communion. So they went out. I was expected to stay in the pew and behave. Um, I came back and my mother, I remember I was kneeling next to her. She knelt down and uh, put her elbows on the seat back, the pew, and put her face in her hands. And uh, I was probably four, mm. and I thought she was crying. And so I tapped her on the arm and I said, don't cry, Mommy, it'll be okay. Oh. And uh, <laughs> I don't think she laughed, but she shushed me <laughs> and said, uh, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. And I just have that first memory uh, associated with Mass and so with the Eucharist is of uh, great reassurance yeah, and comfort that it was all going to be okay. Yeah. The, what a tender, tender little moment that you um, have and what a gift to be able to recall that. Um, and and this uh after 48 years i'm happy to be able to recall anything <laughs> no that's incredible is that's, it okay if we laugh on this absolutely <laughs> laughs are welcome <laughs> yeah oh that's so sweet thank you for sharing that, that you're welcome that moment it, so it's it's one of the the most beautiful parts of of priesthood is being able to uh accompany especially our little ones to the sacraments and especially the the sacrament of uh, Holy Communion. And so um, over your, your 48 years of priesthood, as you think about the many First Communions that you've had the, the privilege to be a part of, what were those moments like for you? Uh, treasured, just treasured. Uh, first time I was a pastor, uh, and so much more central to things than as an associate, uh, was at St. Vincent's in Pontiac. And I remember processing with the children from the rectory over to the church. It did not begin auspiciously. Uh, I was at the end of the procession. The servers were up in front. All the kids were marching under the supervision of their catechists. And um, I closed the front door of the rectory on my chasuble. <laughs> so everybody continued in the procession. Oh. I was stuck on the porch. Oh, no. It was not an auspicious beginning. But uh, seeing the children come up and uh, varying degrees of awareness, as you might imagine, but the, uh, the pride of the parents mm. and the happiness of the parents as they watch their sons and daughters receive the body and blood of Christ for the first time, uh, it, extremely moving, extremely moving. Uh, and then... At, at St. Paul's uh, in Gross Point Farms, we would have three different masses mm. because uh, we had 
a large elementary school as well as a large religious education program after school. And uh, it was physically taxing, but uh, to see the joy of the families again, it, more contagious than any any virus that uh, <laughs> that the enemy can come up with to afflict us. Just uh, wonderful, wonderful. And to know that, that's the beginning. It's not the beginning of the relationship with Jesus, but it's the beginning of the relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And knowing from my own personal experience the difference that that can make in somebody's life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was that was the joy of my life as a pastor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As a priest, it's always a real privilege and a blessing to be a part of those those days of uh, of sacraments, um, especially First Communion, because uh, probably for all of us, it brings us back to our own First Communion. Um, mm -hmm. I remember the the white suit that I wore. I remember who was sitting in, in the pew and the banner that hung on the end of the end of the pew. Um, and it's just always a reminder to me of um, the importance of revisiting those days and the, and the joy that was a part of them. Yeah. Um, and and also a, a conviction to uh, rekindle that joy and mm -hmm. that love for the Lord in the Eucharist. And that, that was always kind of part of my, my preaching on those days to be sure that um, we never lose that joy. Yeah. Always go back to it. Yeah. I remember uh, when we do the catechesis for parents in preparation for First Communion, I used to share with them uh, part of an essay by uh, Ron Hansen, who's a Catholic. He, I think he's the writer in residence at the uh, Jesuit University, University of Santa Clara out in uh, Southern California. And he does exactly what you were describing, remembers his own First Communion as he begins this essay on the Eucharist. And uh, he talks about, he has a twin brother, how they were lined up and they got to lead the procession. And uh, he was kind of afraid, you know, that uh, that the host might, he might not like the taste. <laughs> or uh, that it would get stuck to the roof <laughs> of his mouth and uh, all the things that could go wrong. But he ends the essay by uh, saying he comes back to his place and uh, he wasn't radically changed, but he knew that Jesus was down in his heart, his imperfect heart, and he says, it was a grace I hadn't imagined. Mm. And. I think that's a good description of what the reception of the Eucharist, certainly for the first time, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God willing, many times after that, can be like just beyond our imagination. Yeah. One thing stands out to me, you mentioned um, in witnessing uh, little ones receive the Eucharist for the first time, the, the kind of impact that that has on their families and the parents in particular. And you mentioned that your family, you know, you went to Mass every Sunday as a family. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the impact of your family on your understanding of Jesus' real presence and, and just your your own formation in the faith as a as a young person, how that helped you develop a relationship with Jesus in the okay. Eucharist. Yeah. In truth, I don't remember any specific conversations mm -hmm. that I had with my mom or dad about that. Um, just the reverence that I saw in them and the fidelity uh, 
Yeah. Um, as I look back now as an adult, I'm sort of reading back into it, a little mm-hmm. eisegesis, <laughs> uh, back into the, the family history. Um, I know that it was their faith and especially the presence of Christ in the Eucharist that got them through tough times, the death of their parents, mm. for example. Um, and I can imagine that it, how significant it was for my mom while my dad was in the Army in the Second World War and over in the Philippines. And she had, at that point, my older brother already, who was a nine or ten month old child. Um, and I remember wanting, I don't know that they encouraged me necessarily, but I read it now as wanting to be close, physically close. And that's part of what moved me to become an altar server, even though I had to learn the prayers in Latin in those wow. days, uh, when dinosaurs still roamed the earth. <laughs> um, yeah, it was their fidelity that somehow at some level told me something about Christ's fidelity. Wow. And then, so you mentioned that that gave you this desire to be closer to eventually become an altar server. And can you speak a little bit about, um, I'm sure that that had something to do with, you know, you discerning a vocation to the priesthood. Can you share a little bit about um, the the role that the Eucharist played in your discernment of your vocation? Yes. Um, our church was open. St. Mike's was open all day long. And going to the Catholic school occasionally, we'd go over and make visits. Um, But also making visits, we were encouraged to make visits apart from school. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a tradition back uh, pre-conciliar on Holy Thursday before there was a Mass of the Lord's Supper and before uh, I knew anything about a chrism Mass. You would go to uh, make visits to three different churches. And uh, I remember going with my mom and her mother. My mother was an only child, and after my grandfather died, uh, Ma, as we called her, lived with us. And uh, on Holy Thursdays and making those visits, as far as I know that it had an influence on my vocation, Part of it was seeing the priests in my parish and how happy they seemed to be with their lives and how central celebrating Mass was for them. Uh, I don't know that it was this clearly articulated in my little head, Mm -hmm. uh, my little pointy head. (laughs) Uh, I might like to do that too. I do remember I didn't pray before the Blessed Sacrament, but I was praying after I came down and took the entrance exams, which was, uh, I thought, pretty exhausting. Oh. And going back home, and I thought some of my friends were going to too, but uh, it was one of those things where I stepped forward and nobody else did. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, after I took the tests, one night I'd be praying, oh, please let me be accepted, please let me be accepted. Then the next night I'd pray, oh, please don't let me be accepted, oh. please don't let me be accepted. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there was some mixture. Mm. But when I got here, 
in the high school seminary, and we would have a holy hour every week. And of course, mass was the high point, mm -hmm. but that that holy hour uh, before the Blessed Sacrament was, again, there was a reassurance that I was in the right place, that this is where Jesus wanted me. Wow. As you think about your time um, in the seminary, um, and then your transition from the seminary into priestly ministry, um, and then even to today, as you think about um, just your own personal prayer uh, and, and reliance upon that time uh, in front of the Blessed Sacrament, um, can you just speak about the importance of that time? Sure, sure. I want to start by telling a story. Um, this was about eight years ago, because I think it was around my 40th anniversary. I decided I wanted to make a eight-day directed retreat. I hadn't done it for a while. So I went to a Jesuit retreat center out in Pennsylvania and had a Jesuit priest who was my director, and things were going pretty well. I think it was maybe the third day, and um, Jack, the priest, gave me a sheet and said, uh, this is one of St. Ignatius's footnotes. He said, you may be familiar with this. I'd never seen it before. I'd done the spiritual exercises, but this is one of St. Ignatius's footnotes to the spiritual exercises. And what the what St. Ignatius directs the person to do, the retreatant, is to go, he says, go to the place where you usually pray. And before you, about 10 feet away from the spot where you usually sit or kneel, stop, close your eyes, and for about the length of time that it would take you to say the Lord's Prayer, imagine Jesus standing there looking at you and loving you. So I said, okay. And uh, there was an older chapel. This was uh, an old Jesuit formation house. And they had a more contemporary chapel down in the basement, but. I like this place because it was there were lots of other people on retreat as well, but this was usually pretty quiet. So I walked down the center aisle, this old, uh, looks something like the chapel at the Sacred Heart, and about 10 feet away from the front, front pew where I usually sat, I stopped and I closed my eyes and imagined Jesus standing in front of the altar, looking at me and loving me. And I started to weep. I was just overwhelmed in that moment with his love. And that was the grace of the retreat. I think that's how I describe the Eucharist. Um, he's there. He's looking at me. And he's loving me. Not because I do everything right, which I don't. Not because I'm the best priest, because I'm not, uh, but just because he chooses to love me. That sums up the Eucharist for me. That's beautiful. Thank you for, for taking us back to that moment. Um, that's incredibly powerful. Um, so thinking about your life as a priest, I'm sure you've had you know, several moments like that, but I'm sure there's also the day-to-day -day of just, you know, um, not necessarily these 
great uh, intimate moments of consolation with with the Lord. Um, how were you drawn back into into that intimacy? Um, like how did how did Jesus um, bring you back to that over over time? You know, throughout your your ministry as a priest and just throughout uh, your day to day life. Sure, as you can imagine. Uh, there was a phrase that we had to learn freshman year of high school in Latin class, repetitio es mater studiorum. Repetition is the mother of wisdom. Don't ask me for much more Latin <laughs> than that, please. <laughs> um, the purpose of ritual, as I understand it, is to free us up, mm. heart and mind, so that we can praise and glorify God and be drawn closer to Him. The risk of ritual and where the enemy sometimes gets in, in the life at least of this priest, probably doesn't happen to any other priest, uh, you can almost start taking things for granted. Mm-hmm. And I remember this was shortly after I got to St. Paul's and we had a 6.30 weekday mass. And uh, Full disclosure, I'm not at my best <laughs> at 6.30 <laughs> in the morning. Neither am I. And. Uh, so I'm coming down the steps, and mercifully, the, the rectory at St. Paul's is connected to the church, beautiful old church built in 1897. So I'm coming down the steps from my room, and I'm, I don't think I was praying, but I was sort of complaining in my heart about having to be up at 6.30, well, 6 o'clock, going down the steps. And close the door behind me, between connecting between the church and the rectory. And uh, there are three steps going down to the, to the sacristy. And I was on the second step, and I had one of those moments. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, remember what you are about to do. And I froze in mid-step. And then I went down to the sacristy and got vested and celebrated Mass. I don't remember that experience every time that I celebrate Mass, but I do it enough times that I'm still grateful for it, um, that I remember what I'm about to do, what really He's about to do through me. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes a great difference. Mm -hmm. Monsignor, when when you encounter difficulties um, or when you encounter just the hardships of life, as everyone does. Um, You mentioned in your story uh, just the time um, after your dad passed away and you were uh, just kind of overcome with emotion during the celebration of Mass because of uh, just just a really beautiful grace that you you received. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that moment and then also um, in the life of the priest, you know, uh, many times people don't always disagree or don't always agree with decisions that that are made. Or really, are, yeah, really, <laughs> I'm really. shocked. Or um, you know, people always have you know different um, different ideas of what what should be done or not. Um, just just some insight into those moments and well as well in the power of um, just bringing yourself before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Yeah, sure. I'm glad that we're starting with the first thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a few weeks after my dad died, and I had read this book by uh, Joan Didion, 
when her husband died suddenly. And the one thing that I took away from it, the book is called uh, The Year of Magical Thinking. And uh, she said, grief is like you're standing in the ocean and you're braced for the waves as they come. But every once in a while, a rogue wave comes and it just knocks you off your feet. She said, that's what grief is like. And I was celebrating Mass. We'd said the Lord's Prayer. And you have no control. Anybody who's listening to this, who's grieved, knows you have no control when the feelings of grief come. And one of those moments of missing my dad came over me. And I started to tear up. And I thought, Jesus, this cannot happen now. Um, and the grace was, I said, wait a minute. You're about to receive the body and blood of Christ to be renew your communion with him, the one who looks at you and loves you. Your father, my dad was a fine, fine man, uh, deep faith, dedicated husband and father, uh, said, your father's in communion with Christ. So if I'm in communion with Christ and he's in communion with Christ, I'm in communion with my dad at this moment when I receive the body and blood of Jesus. And so I went on with the Mass and distributed communion and, and dried my tears and all was well. Um, for the second question, yes, people do not always agree. And uh, sometimes, as a priest in solidum or pastor, whatever the title, shepherd, uh, father of the family, you have to make some decisions that are difficult decisions. Um, and it may be possible to make those without being rooted in Christ in the Eucharist? Um, I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to find out because I believe I am rooted in Christ, especially in the Eucharist. And it doesn't make the pain necessarily less because we like everybody to get along, you know, share all the toys in the sandbox mm -hmm. and don't throw the sand at one another. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't always work out that way. But uh, knowing that Christ is with me and I am in Christ, you know, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. Sometimes, sometimes it's pretty heavy. Mm. But what I have to remember is that there's never just one opening in a yoke. Monsignor Bill Easton reminded me of this one time when we were in the Holy Land in a homily. He preached to the seminarians. I don't remember where we were. But uh, Jesus is always yoked with me. Mm. And I grew up in Pontiac. We didn't have a lot of oxen. <laughs> I had ants who had farms, but they didn't have oxen either. But the stronger ox is always the one I believe that's on the inside, and he does the heavier work. So Jesus is the one who's doing the heavier work. 
uh, I let him do that, and he'll give me what I need to do whatever I have to lift, whatever I have to carry, whatever I have to pull. Mm -hmm. I so appreciate both of those reflections, especially um, it's kind of the way you've uh, understood processing grief in the context of the Eucharist. That's such a gift, I think, for me personally and for anyone who has um, is grieving, has grieved, will grieve. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. I would love to know uh, in, in your day-to-day life now, um, and just with this, you've shared some beautiful excerpt, or I guess moments with Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, where, how is your time spent with Jesus in the Eucharist now, whether that's, you know, in uh, before the Blessed Sacrament, um, uh, in a holy hour? How do, how do you spend that time? Um, what do you like to make of that that time spent with him? Okay. There are two pieces. The first is because I'm living on my own I don't have easy access to the Eucharist, uh, to the Eucharistic presence, except when I celebrate Mass, which I continue to do every day. People say, do you have to celebrate Mass every day now that you're retired? And I like to respond, I get to celebrate Mass every day. Uh, It's a privilege and a blessing. And, uh, but in my prayer time in the morning, I depend more on the Word since I don't have the Eucharistic presence Mm -hmm. reserved in my home. Uh, But another thing that's uh, been a source of sustenance for me over the years has been my participation in a group of priests that gets together monthly. We started a month after I was ordained, so we've been doing this for about 48 years. Uh, Bishop Don Hanschen, Father Ronda Hunt. Father Ed Farrell was instrumental in helping us start this. He's gone home to God. Father Paul Letterman's gone home to God. Father Ted Parker, uh, Archbishop John Neinstead, who's retired, uh, and Father Mike Molner. I think I got everybody in the, in the saints. But once a month, we get together, and we always begin with an hour of adoration before we get together to share what we call our review of life. Mm-hmm where the grace is challenging or easier. Uh, beginning together, actually, tomorrow evening and Thursday, about three times a year, we get together for an overnight mm-hmm. and do that. So that's one way that I stay, apart, in addition to Mass, connected to the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And Monsignor, we're in the midst of Eucharistic revival right now yeah um and should continue to be beyond the next year uh just eucharistic revival should always be at the heart of who we are and and what we do um so what what do you think what what do you think is needs to be central for eucharistic revival uh in our church um I agree with you. People couldn't see me shaking my head. (laughs) (laughs) But I agree that the revival needs to continue well beyond Mm -hmm. the conclusion uh, next summer with the Congress. Eucharist to Congress, thank you. Uh, Excellent memories just this long. (laughs) I think, and this is what I used to uh, encourage people who had come saying that they were concerned because their adult children were not coming to Mass. 
uh, I remember a couple times at least I preached about this. I said, be ready to tell people in 90 seconds why you're here. I think we need people to be willing to testify about the significance of the Eucharist in their lives, how being close to Christ in the Eucharist helps them. Not you should do this, but I'm here because I, I, I want to so badly I have to. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is uh, continuing prayer, especially prayer before the Eucharist, uh, when possible, mm -hmm. but prayer anyhow. Never let the, the perfect get in the way of the good. Mm -hmm. So prayer that uh, family members, neighbors, co-workers, whoever it happens to be, that that person or those people will be so hungry for the body and blood of Jesus that nothing can keep them away. Not a sale at Walmarts, <laughs> uh, not a little league game, uh, not a Lions game, whatever it happens to be. So prayer for hunger for the Eucharist and my testimony, this is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. I had a, a nephew, a great nephew actually, who made his first communion this past spring out of state and I went down. And I remember writing in the card that I gave him uh, something like a part of my testimony. I said, anything that you see in me that you think is decent or good or that you like is because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And especially that relationship with him in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Thank you so much for highlighting both of those components. I think with the work that we're doing here with I Am Here, um, the idea of personal testimony to what Jesus has done in our lives um, is something we can all agree is is going to uh, uh, aid this season of revival. So thank you for, for doing that very thing, for sharing your story, witnessing to what Jesus has done in your life, and um, and allowing that good news to you know impact those who have read your story online and those who are listening uh, to this podcast today. So thank you so much, Monsignor Halfpenny, for joining us and for uh, to sharing, uh, witnessing to what Jesus has done in your life through his presence in the Eucharist. We're you're most welcome. Grateful. God bless you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for listening to the I Am Here podcast. You can read and listen to more stories of people encountering Jesus in the Eucharist at IamHere.org. And we also invite you to share your story with us. I Am Here is a campaign by the Archdiocese of Detroit and Hallow App in support of the National Eucharistic Revival.